You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast, as I like to call it, Intimate Roundtable Edition, in the form of Sean W. Smith, who's a freelance writer with the Globe and Mail, and the great Craig Borden, minor league guru and specialist with Jay's Journal. They're joining me for a very, very intriguing roundtable where we talk about everything from the future of Jose Bautista to the future of what the Blue Jays outfield is going to end up looking like for 2018. And of course, a really deep introspective look into the likelihood of the Japanese Babe Ruth Shohei Otani ending up in Toronto, which I know many of you are rolling your eyes and saying that's just not one of those things that the Blue Jays would ever do. And you know what? I'm inclined to agree when I look back at you, Darvish and Tanaka, and when I look back at any other player in the past that the team may have entertained acquiring from Japan. But something tells me that this opportunity might give Shapiro and Atkins some sober second thought when it comes to considering the implications of having a player who can not only start every fifth day, but also offer you the kind of offensive output and depth that is sorely lacking in this Blue Jays lineup. Imagine it, if you will, for a moment, in a multicultural market which has the best attendance in the American League and the fourth largest population in North America, and it just suddenly makes your imagination drift off, and you imagine this kind of future where Otani is slotted into the lineup and playing out in the field and, and contributing. It's, it's almost enough to make you want to reach for a cask of ale. Anyhow, on that note, let's get to a round table. We've got a good one tonight. So here we are again. Continuing now a time-honored tradition of bringing you some of the best baseball roundtables that you'll find on social media. Today's no exception. I've got with me Sean W. Smith, freelance writer with The Globe and Mail, and Craig Borden, minor league guru and contributor with Jay's Journal. It's just the three of us in a more intimate Blue Jays roundtable. And I don't want to waste any time. I want to start with you, Sean. The Jose Bautista era is, for all intents and purposes, coming to an end in Toronto. There is still some faint hope from other fans and media types and members of my own round table that have mentioned there's a possibility he could come back. But I think it most likely seems that this is his last hurrah. And if that's the case, Sean, how do you feel about the end of this era, the player, and what the prospects are for him moving forward? Uh, it's kind of bittersweet, right? I mean, he gave us our, our best memory in, in you know, over 20 years as a, as a Blue Jays fan. I know that that monster home run that that everybody loves, but I mean, you look at his numbers this year, and and he's just not he's not really performing at a a major league level. He's not he's not good enough to to keep going. So it, it's it's kind of bittersweet, right? That that he gave us these great memories, and I just I can't see if we're going to be competitive next year and moving forward. I, I just don't see it where his spot would be on this roster. Yeah, I'm going to jump in and say I just. I, I, I've always loved Jose Bautista. I love the story of him coming up and finally having his full-time shot with the Toronto Blue Jays and making all, all the best moves and just raking at the plate in his t- entirety until his season. The biggest problem I have is I just don't see him continuing to be the Jose Bautista in all of our minds. And mm-hmm. if that's going to be the situation, is this the point where we just got to say, hey, you know, Thank you very much for all your service time. You are one of the greatest Blue Jays hitters, and he is highly ranked in all of our offensive categories, that we just have to go a different direction. And unfortunately, I think that the youth movement is catching up to somebody even having a chance like Jose Bautista mm-hmm. to resurge themselves 
in our outfield because here's my problem. I think he's going to have a chance to go somewhere else. It's going to be on a cheaper dime than what we've been paying him, but mm-hmm. I have a feeling he's going to come back and haunt us. He's that kind of player. We're going to be Darren O'Day all of a sudden, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a problem. My biggest thing is I wonder if he lands in Cleveland when Jay Bruce leaves Cleveland after this season and him and Edwin back together again in Indians uniforms are going to be that weird thing that all of a sudden magic just happens and you catch the lightning in the bottle. I fear for that as much as I don't want to see him leave. I still think he's got the bat speed, but then I don't know if any of you saw the article on Fangraphs today that just sees his war just more or less fall off a cliff going into the yeah. season after last year. So there's an argument both ways. Either he's got to go gracefully into the light or he's going to have a light fire lit under him that he's just going to come back and haunt us. Well, I mean, Craig, if we look at the names that are available in the pending free agent market during this offseason, they don't exactly jump out and grab you. I'm talking about Payne, Martinez, Brantley, the aforementioned Bruce, Gonzalez, Melky Cabrera, Jared Dyson, and, of course, the indefatigable and classic Curtis Granderson is always a favorite of mine, regardless of how old he is these days. He's just one of those great <laughs> baseball players. But, but Craig, isn't Bautista a better option if you can bring him back at $18 million than, than these players, or should the Blue Jays be a little bit more vigilant and cost-effective in how they spend their money? My biggest fear is I, I think that you would be able to find some kind of common ground. I don't think he's worth $18 million, but I think that the Blue Jays in the history might be able to, hey, We'll give you another one-year deal. This is how much. If you want to play, play. But my biggest worry is we have all these young outfielders that are nipping on mm-hmm. heels. And you've got Teoscar Hernandez, who's already showing that he can handle being an everyday player in the major leagues. We randomly brought Michael Saunders back, who all of a sudden learned how to hit again and was a Buffalo Bison. Do you give him another chance to play in the outfield? And then you yeah. still have Anthony Alford. The list just keeps going and going. I if we didn't have all that talent coming in the outfield, all of a sudden I honestly foresee a log jam going on in our outfield going forward with how much talent's coming through and, you know, that higher end of New Hampshire level of double a and Buffalo triple a, um, that we did, what do you just do with all that depth? And unfortunately, like I said, I think your biggest chip to play on that one right now is just letting Jose Bautista go. I, I would agree with that. I think, you know, especially in our outfield, there's just so much young talent there. I mean, like, like the names you mentioned, like Roy Smith Jr. probably deserves another chance at some point, maybe not a, a starter, but, uh, I mean, Anthony Alford, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, as you mentioned, you know, he, he looks to be major league ready to me. And then, obviously, Kevin Pillar is still there uh, and, and a bunch of other guys who are right right there, right, ready to go. So I just can't see why, why we would keep them. I, I mean, I just think – with all this young talent, if they come up to this level, uh, you know, at the plate, I think they're going to be probably better than what he's delivered this year. So I, I just don't see a spot for him moving forward on this team. Um, but again, you know, if they gave him the one-year contract, kind of a nod to, to what he's done for this franchise, I, I couldn't really argue with that. I mean, he, he's definitely earned that. He's not going to definitely get a better deal from anybody else other than us again. It's going to be the same thing as the last off season, I think. There's a great fear, I think, of being blinded by September numbers or September impressions. It's always been the case for the decades and decades that we three collectively have followed 
there's a tendency to see a Hernandez and to see a Urania and, Urania. and look at you look at how they're playing and you're saying to yourself, these guys can carry the ball. But for all intents and purposes, they're playing for absolutely nothing other than the very comfortable opportunity of getting at bats when there's nothing mm-hmm. on the line and then hoping it translates into what will motivate the player to make the team in 2018. But we, we also know that Anthony Alford has been mentioned now, it seems like for almost half a decade. From the moment he joined the organization a couple of years back, he was touted as maybe one of the only five-tool capable players in the organization at any level. Sean, are you in favor of just letting Anthony Alford have the ball and see if he can earn it through getting 100, 100 to 150 at-bats? Well, I think it's either that or, you know, we, we start to look for the alternative. I mean, like you said, he's been around for a bit. If he's not going to be ready soon, then, then we kind of have to, you know, see what else is out there. And, and we have so many good outfielders, uh, you know, like obviously Kevin Pillar, uh, Carrera could could stay with us. Uh, Steve Pierce could stay with us. Uh, Hernandez seems seems ready. I mean, like you said, uh, his, his September numbers have been good, but can he do that for a full season? We don't really know. So when it comes to Alfred, I I, I do think you kind of just got to put him in the fire and, and see if he can he can do it at this level. And, and if not, then then maybe it's time to move on. My biggest fear with a lot of these guys is I don't want to see the Dalton Pompey experiment all of a sudden happen wrong again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And I think you guys will agree with me. He's still in the system, and I, he's just been perennially hurt. But he was one of the most talented players in our system that, mm-hmm. in my opinion, didn't get the full shot that he probably deserved the one year. Yeah, it was 2015 when we were, you know, looking for that last outfield spot. And, and yeah. One way or the other, I would have rather seen Dalton Pompey playing left field every day rather than Chris Colabello. No offense. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have the defense, but and then they, that, that was pre-Justin Smoke's breakout, and the two of them were playing back and forth at first base, and we just needed somebody to throw in left field at that point. So it is what it is, but I think you have a higher ceiling player in these guys that we have been talking about. There was a reason that the hey, Oscar Hernandez was sought at after our, you know, trade deadline, you know, and miscues, I would say, maybe a mm-hmm. little bit, too, because mm-hmm. I don't know if we did exactly what we could have done. Uh, that Yes, I know we were teetering on that point of the wild card situation still, but looking at the team at that point, I think everybody didn't want to admit it, but it was a flawed team. Relying on more or less Josh Donaldson and Justin Smoke to carry them to the promised land. Maybe I'm talking out of line, but correct me if no, I'm wrong. No, not at all. No, I think you're right, and, and you mentioned the defense, and I think, I think that's going to be a big part of you know, who, who ends up filling these spots next year because we saw Dwight Smith Jr. come in, and his defense was uh, problematic to say the least, right? So, um, and this year the entire defense has been fairly suspect. So I, I think whoever comes in can't just be – good at the plate but but needs to be a good defender as well because uh, because we need it and we've seen that this year and I think that's been a big part of of why our team has struggled I know Ari you're going to appreciate this comment but picture an athletic outfield with Alfred Hernandez and Kevin Pillar in it those are your three outfielders I think there's only one other Blue Jay outfield in in all of history and I know Ari's going to mention it so just go right ahead and say it that (laughs) (laughs) that is going to beat it as far as pure athleticism goes. We'll see what yeah. the bats can do, but try to fall think, through that outfield. 
I think yeah. we can agree that that's such a vital component to structuring the way your outfield works. I mean, you don't need to be a purist to appreciate the level of activity, game action that happens to all fields, and that how, how important it is when you're defending a lead or when you're in a very close game to have that level of athleticism, which allows you to get make that great catch, have that clutch moment that this team, to put it lightly, hasn't had from day one. And while yeah. Sean, I appreciate that you say that it was suspect, I would I would rather go with catastrophic. I think the it was terrible for the team for the team this year going in with the expectations of what they were from the previous two postseason caliber teams, we'll we'll call them. This was an, an absolute disaster on so many levels, and that's why when you mention Steve Pierce and Kevin Pillar and um, Ezequiel Carrera. This is where you have a hope that management will realize that maybe now is the time, in conjunction with fortifying veterans and long-term assets, to give certain young players a chance. And if there's one player who I think deserves that, a really good long look, it's Anthony Alford. And if Hernandez can put himself into the argument and create that opportunity in 2018, Craig, could you realistically see the 2018 edition start the year with more than one raw prospect right out of the gate. Honestly, I think that's the direction they're heading in with the market, like you were talking mm-hmm. about with the outfield situation. They're trying to do this rebuild and retool and run with everything and go for a playoff spot at the same time. I think the places that they're going to be able to reload as far as free agents are concerned are more in the bullpen starting pitching area. So you look at where else the team needs help, the outfield is – in my opinion, a clear, obvious point, except, especially if you are letting Jose Bautista walk out the door. But having that kind of an outfield, at least you're not giving up more runs. Imagine if you're not having an outfield where, you know, even Jay Happ giving up a fly ball in the left field is not a hit. Or Marco Estrada giving up, you know, he's more of a fly ball pitcher, watching these things just – if you have Anthony Alford, I've seen him play with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats – if you have him playing in left field and have him on the that side of Kevin Pillar, good luck getting anything into that gap. I'm sorry. Yeah. Every right-handed hitter dropping a ball into somebody's glove. <laughs> you know, it's the difference between having a few earned runs or giving up too many. I, I could definitely see them starting the season with Hernandez, Alford, and Pillar out there. And, and I just think that makes a lot, of, a lot of sense. I mean, like you mentioned, we are kind of – rebuilding on the fly here and if we keep keep these players like a Batista you know significantly past their prime we're, we're not really letting these younger players have that opportunity to to join this team while we're still competitive and, and continue to be competitive you know while we still have Donaldson somewhat in his prime and, and we still have a Tula, uh, Tula whiskey that's usable so uh, I just think we need to, to keep retooling without going into complete rebuild and and having uh, the, the two young players in, in the outfield that can kind of learn from Pilar makes a lot of sense to me. Now, with that being said, where do you think we could invest otherwise? Without, I think Richard Urena might be able to get a shot at second base, especially if Devin Travis can't stay healthy. I love Devin Travis as much as everybody else, but mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten to that point where you can't rely on him at second base. You need to at least have a equal-level player ready to play on opening day, I think. Tulowitzki is kind of the same thing to me. I don't know that we're going to see anywhere near 162 games from him moving forward. I think I think he's probably going to be injury prone as he approaches his mid 30s. So so to have someone like Urena and maybe maybe someone else 
as well that we can kind of plug in there if if, if Travis and, and Tulowitzki are going to be injury prone. That would make sense to me. But uh, what what worries me is the the starting rotation moving forward. I just there's so many question marks there for me. Um, you know, obviously we have Hap and, and Stroman. We don't we don't really know what kind of condition Sanchez is going to be in starting next season. I mean, we like to think that he's going to be ready to go and, and be healthy, but but we don't know for sure. And then Estrada, we we like to think that he'll resign, but but we don't know. Uh, so I mean, if you have those four, you, you still need one more, whether that's be a genie or Anderson or or someone else off the free agent. So I, I think the starting pitching is something that that we're going to have to address in, in some form in the offseason. And I think, Sean, you'll agree that there's an inherent fear in reading all these articles about the supposed changes to the baseball, the whole theory Mm -hmm. that Major League Baseball will eclipse the record of around 5,600 total home runs, maybe finish with over 6,000 cumulative dingers flying out of ballparks north and south of the border. And the question becomes, if Sanchez is having legitimate issues, as has Stroman in gripping the ball and throwing How do we know we won't have a Groundhog Day scenario where halfway through April he's once again struggling with the same type of baseball? Well, that's what makes me think, you know, maybe this team needs to go out and get, I mean, at least one starting pitcher, but but maybe two, maybe, I don't know, I guess not three, but but I I think we're going to need two anyways. I mean, we we don't know what's going to happen with Estrada and and, you know, Sanchez, it really does feel like a wild card to me. Like, in, in the perfect world, he'll be ready to go for for February, and you know he he won't have this problem again. He'll find some way around it, but but we don't know that. And I mean, we lost him for for most of this season. What's to say it won't happen again? So I think we need to have somebody that we can plug in there, whether that's somebody you know that we already have or, or somebody from free agency. Yeah, in my opinion, I'd like to see us have six good starters come opening day. Yeah, you just we, we're going to have some of the money freed up. You're going to have 18 million off the books with Jose Bautista if he does go. So you have that right now. We're I would love to see Marco Estrada come back as much as anybody else. I think he had a point this season where he was playing through an injury that was not told to anybody, or something was going on with his grip. Maybe he had more mm-hmm. issues with a blister. Something was up because it was completely cut and dry, like how, compared to yeah. how he was before. And now you're seeing he's back to the same way he was pitches yeah. any time he has. And I'm sure you guys are agreeing with me. I've watched his last few starts, and yeah. he looks like a completely different person. Yeah, he gives up the occasional home run here and there, but that was kind of what his MO was, period. So yeah. you you get, I think, you, regardless, you have Stroman to rely on. He's figured out how he can stay healthy one way or the other. And then Jay Happ has been very, very consistent. Yeah. <laughs> through his yep. tenure with his second tenure with the Blue Jays. But, and then after that, okay, yes, I'd love to be able to rely on Aaron Sanchez, but I would love to bring in two more guys that says, okay, if any one of these guys faults out, has an issue, whatever it may be, I still have a solid five-man rotation. Because here's the next tidbit. You have minor league depth that's going to be in triple A this year versus this year we were relying on Brett Overholzer, TJ House (laughs) as the next line of defense. I'm sorry. I don't know. I knew we had one of the best pitching staffs in baseball the year prior, but going into this season, knowing that was your depth, that that stung watching the first few Buffalo Bisons games. But the Buffalo Bisons had a really, really good first half of the season and TJ Howell yeah. looked like he should be playing in the major leagues. It was I felt that way too. Everything everything all of a sudden just kind of, you know, fell back into its place and 
I honestly would love to see TJ House as our lefty in the bullpen as another option. But the yeah. starting pitching thing, we just need that. The, the, the biggest downfall, in my opinion, to this season was not having enough depth and then having everything go wrong. So regardless of where that depth is coming from, that's where you strengthen this team. And part of that is because we have an older team. We're going to have guys get injured a lot more. But, I mean, do you guys think that, that Biagini and Anderson can be that 5-6, that or do you think we need help from outside still? I'm thinking to myself that in a year where Marco Estrada could still finish with an under-5 ERA after having a 9.5 ERA in June, <laughs> that it makes you appreciate that consistency really was our, was our greatest enemy for, for fans of this yeah. team. I mean, Kevin Pillar basically disappeared for for half of May, most of June, July, and only just came back partially in August. And suddenly it's a bookend kind of year thrown in with hitting 194 during the summer. So what I'd like to see are pitchers that have a track record, to answer your question, Sean, and have the mm-hmm. ability to offer a measure of consistency that doesn't involve having to pick up the newspaper. You love that I use that term, you pick up the newspaper. It doesn't have to do with you checking your phone and realizing who is this starter whose name I've never heard of. And Craig, as someone yeah. who follows the minor leagues, I guarantee you that your biggest frustration was looking and seeing names that weren't there because they earned it on merit from their minor league system, but because they were someone else's reclamation project. And in my opinion, that has to stop if fans are supposed to take this front office seriously next year. I love reclamation projects, but the biggest thing is, is how many can you do in one season? Right. Those coaches are getting slightly stretched thin. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's not just resurging Jose Bautista back in the day or, you know, okay, we got Edwin Encarnacion. We're working on him. Okay, Marco Estrada is the new guy. We're going to get him all set. And then, you know, watching those guys take off. This is getting ten different people all of a sudden and then just trying to sh- shuffle the cards just right to get it to work. And that, that system is not going to get us anywhere. That gives me, like I said, that those guys should be the depth, that last final line of support, the last plug-in. But having those key guys already in place, like I said, go out and get so we have like a what looks like a six-man rotation on paper going into mm-hmm. spring training. What is we're going to have some money, so why not sh- bring that in? And if we somehow shock and awe the whole world and bring in the Japanese phenom Babe Ruth player, you know what the hell? <laughs> I, I, I just it'd be amazing to see something big to bring everybody in this season. And honestly, I think they need something to happen to shake this, shake the team out of the funk a little bit. I love Gibby, and I don't think that he's going anywhere. But no, there's something missing. You know, in 2015 we had the Josh Donaldson infusion. What is that next catalyst that's going to light the fire and just let us cruise? You know, I and honestly, if they don't build this team around Josh Donaldson, I'm going to be really upset going forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, they keep bringing up the, the talk of trading him, and I feel like that's crazy. Okay, he, he hasn't really lost a step, in my opinion, but I don't see why, why we'd possibly get rid of him. Um, but, yeah, if we're going to bring in Shohei Sho- Otani, we might as well bring in you, Darvish, while we're at it. Yeah, I know, right? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I was well, reading an, uh, an interesting article from one of our guys at Jay's Journal today that was just saying, hey, why aren't you coming here? <laughs> for uh, yeah. Yotani, but and in all reality, I was I was reading through it, but I'm like, you know, I've been to Toronto. I'm a regular guest, and 
if I was a person that was coming in with any kind of ethnic background, of uh, any culture popping into that system and then walking around town, I, I'm going to feel more at home in Toronto than I would in a lot of cities. That's, <laughs> Just that's because that, ever, the culture diversity is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be the selling point, I think, right? Because it, it's not going to be a money thing because everyone can offer the same money. So it's it's what can we offer that's not financial. And I think the culture in Toronto and the fact that we had Kawasaki and he loved it here, I mean, I, I think those are things that we, we have to use as, as selling points for him. I mean, I don't think it's completely impossible that, that we would get him. I don't think he's going to come here. But, I mean, well, I, I think the culture well, no. is our selling point. Let's look at that. That's a great segue, Sean. Let's look at the Japanese Babe Ruth. Um, Otani is someone who whose first professional season was at the age of 18. He's 23 years old right now, coming off of back-to-back-to-back MVP awards in the Japanese league. He's a, a player that throws 98 well into the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. He was recorded on record as having the fastest thrown pitch at 102.5 miles an hour. And he's also an absolutely amazing hitter with a thousand OPS and had 22 home runs and just under 400 at bat. So my question is, if you're Rogers, why wouldn't you be making it a priority to bring in someone who's so profoundly marketable into the, in such a multicultural vein that could really influence not only your ability to be competitive, but also give you that extra revenue by catering to a growing millennial market? Well, in my opinion, I, th- I think they will. I think they're going to make every every you know step they can to make this happen and and toronto i believe had a a scout at his last uh his last outing in in japan so i think i think they are going to make a a concentrated effort to try and convince him to come here um and like you said i I think it makes a lot of sense i think he makes a lot of sense for this market and if if they can lock him down i mean that would solve a lot of problems i part of me wonders though with with his hitting prowess if he would prefer to be in the national league i don't know Honestly, I would hope he ends up being our full-time DH and then pitches every fifth day. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that makes What's sense. So rough about that. <laughs> you know, if he can uh, repeat the numbers that he's got in the Japan yeah. League, I, I can't see why not. There's a delicious surrealism to imagine a baseball player who's an elite star or projected to be a, an elite star that shows up once every five games to provide you with a quality start, and then during those other four games ends up being your DH. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing because I think the American League, to answer your question, would probably end up paying him more, believe it or not, than the National League because of trying to use him as this kind of versatile Babe Ruth, a concept yeah. that you'll, you'll agree, Sean, that when we've read is like reading old fiction novels, the days when <laughs> a player could hit well and pitch well and become this extraordinary <laughs> star. Why not Otani and why not in Toronto? I, I would love to see it. I, I, I mean... I I think it'd be a, a really good fit here, and I think uh, I think him and, and, and Kawasaki are, are somewhat tight from what I've heard. So if mm-hmm. if we can get Kawasaki to kind of sell it to him, then uh, I don't think it's impossible. And, and I think he would, like I said, I think he'd be a, a really great fit here and and perfect for this market. And I think people would really get behind it. You're gonna see me dancing like Kawasaki on freaking Twitter if you guys would do get him. That's all I'm well, gonna say. Which party? Which, which party? <laughs> you you and me both. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I certainly hope there'll be a lot of dancing in the street, no doubt, if something like that happens. It would certainly change the complexion of what 2018 could offer. And while on some level I think you'll agree there's an almost sideshow element to it, this player is the real deal. They're projecting a $300 million contract caliber in, in what he's looking at. So only time will tell. I want to start with you, Craig, and then Sean. Talk about what you're up to and where listeners can find you on social media. Yep, you can find me on jaysjournal.com, and I am the Meyer League guru that is now kind of semi-currently employed. I'm talking about Meyer League baseball as the season's uh, over with. I'm currently writing up a uh, get-to-know-Ryan-Barucky article. If you haven't noticed this guy, as far as uh, Meyer League pitching goes, he has been doing nothing but dominate all the way through the Meyer League system. The Blue Jays fans need to get on notice about get, and get excited about Ryan Barucki. So I'm working on that along with trying to think of a fun way to summarize, you know, how players did each year at each level this year with the uh, minor league system. And for, for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean, S-H-A-W-N underscore W underscore Smith. Uh, because I'm a freelancer, I uh, kind of have stuff kind of all over the place. So uh, anything I write, it'll be up on there and, and you can check it out there. Gentlemen, this has been a real slice and one where I'm glad we had a chance to talk about the remains of the day. We'll definitely have you on the show again soon, and I want to thank my guests on this episode, Craig Borden, the minor league guru and contributor with Jay's Journal, and Sean W. Smith, freelance writer with many wonderful publications, including the Gordon Mail. Guys, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Ari.